How you guys all doing this morning? I'm so glad you braved all the traffic and everything to get here on this holiday weekend. Not out camping and you're here safe and off the roads. It's going to be crazy out there. I just want to pray before we get going. So if you just all bow your heads and just pray with me. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunities that I get to share some of my life and hopefully help others in their lives through some of the things that I've gone through and some of the things that you've taught me. And I ask today for your spirit to be in this room, for the words that I need to speak to be spoken. And Father, I just thank you for who you are, for who I am, for who everybody is created to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'm a little thirsty. I'm just going to get a drink of water here real quick, okay? Water's so good. Don't you guys like water? Mm. I love it. Source of life, energy. I think that's enough for now. So we have a cup here, glass. Some of you will see it half empty. Some of you will see it half full. I don't want to know how you see it. Keep that to yourself. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Half empty, half full. And what is it in our lives that has us view our life through a glass? Through a glass being half empty or a glass being half full? What determines that? How do we get to a place where we allow how we look at a glass to determine how we see something? Words, again, words. But not just any word. We're talking about the intention now behind the word and the intention when the word is spoken to you with which you take it in and believe it. Because without intention, really, a word is nothing but a possibility. So we have loads and loads and loads of possibilities around us that we hear that we speak with our intention. And each one of us has our own story with which we're living and using the words to create the reality around us. We don't start out that way, of course. We're all born knowing nothing, remembering nothing, with just our parents and those around us to help feed words with intention. And as we grow up and as we walk in the reality that we have created, that it's been created, and we take over and continue to create ourselves, we're using words that were spoken to us with the intentions that we took in and believed and agree with. So when I was a kid, my dad was military, Navy, chief, kind of stern. So he liked to lecture. So whenever we'd get in trouble for something... We'd be lectured. Me the most, because I was the oldest, and I had to set the example. Jeanette, you're the oldest, you have to set the example. Well, why? You know, if I'd known this, I'd been in heaven, I would have been like, can I not be firstborn? Because it seems to me they kind of get the shaft. You know? Heck, even in Moses' day, kill all the firstborn. Yeah, no, no. 
I want to live, you know. <laughs> so that's what I would get. And one of the favorite things, words that he would like to use is, you really disappointed me. You've disappointed me. Oh, man. I disappointed you. And when I was a kid, I didn't realize that his intention behind the words were to help me see areas that I can make better in my life so that I could be a functioning adult that he dreamed for me to be. Because those of us who are parents, you know, when we have our children, we have dreams for them, aspirations. Want them to have better lives than we had. No matter how good or not good our lives were, we just always want them to have better because we love them. And our parents were the same way. Love us, want us to be all that we can be. But sometimes we don't understand that the intention behind our words can be taken in and turn into negativity and keep us from doing what we're intended to be, how we were made to be. So when my dad would speak the words, oh, you disappointed me, and then I'd be lectured for two hours and like an hour into it, I just kind of like vegged out and He'd ask a question and I'd go, uh-huh, yeah. But I didn't know what he was saying or asking because I just kept dwelling on, I disappointed him. So I took that in as, oh my gosh, Jeanette, don't be a disappointment to anybody ever in your life. Do you know how hard that is? Holy moly, you can't do that. <laughs> but what I did is I started just agreeing with people and placating people. And doing something that I didn't want to do so they wouldn't be disappointed. Because if they got disappointed at me, then they'd be mad at me, then they would hate me, then they wouldn't be my friend anymore, and I wouldn't have any friends. So I walked a lot, shaping myself with this negative word intention. I would even speak it. Oh, don't do that. You're going to disappoint so-and-so. We're going to be upset. So, as I started expanding my thoughts and not really liking how I was constantly wanting to please everybody but not myself, I began to realize that I was putting the wrong vibe and putting the wrong intention and creating the wrong reality. So, I asked God, in one of my times of prayer and speaking with him, you know, how can I change this? How can I, how can I stop doing this? Because I'm not very happy. And then people aren't really happy around me because, you know, whenever we go fishing in the mountains, which I did not like to do with my parents, <laughs> and as I got older, I could say, do I really have to go? I'm 17. Can I just stay home because it's dirty? There's bugs. It's so boring. And then you don't even let me read my books or listen to my headphones because you want me to watch my little sister. And that in itself, you know. So then I would go and I'd have an attitude. And I view it as a half-empty glass because now my whole day was ruined. Four o'clock in the morning. Mom made burritos. Those are good. Like those. But everything else, ugh. 
So I'd have an attitude like the whole day. And people would respond to that attitude that I had. So I'm getting in trouble for things. And then next thing I know, I'm getting a lecture about disappointing my dad because I let my sister fall off the rock. Half empty. And I thought, hmm. So God's showing me this and he's reminding me of this. And he says, you know what your problem is? Is that you still don't really believe who I created you to be. And I was like, what? What do you mean? I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this. I wrote my book. I'm speaking more because I love to do it. What do you mean? I don't know who I am. He's like, you don't get it. So he says, you should be able to believe who I say you are. So we should be able to believe who our divine creator says that we are. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm human. It's like, no, it's more than that. And I don't know how much more I can get it into your mind. So let me take you to a scripture to remind you. So I went to Genesis again, 126, 27. And I read it, and I read it in the New King James Version. And honestly, when I read that version, it's like I'm reading Spanish, Greek, any other language but English, you know, because I'm just like, what are they saying? So I pull out some of my other translations I have because I love books. So I have like a ton of different books. And I have the message version of the Bible. And I pull it open, and I find it, and this is what I find. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, reflecting our nature, so they can be responsible for all creatures on earth and the earth itself. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting divine nature. Well, God has divine nature. So if we're reflecting that, that means we have that. I have that. You have that. The neighbor down the block has that. Your co-worker has that. We all have that. We're born with that. So I don't think we were born with sin. I think we're born with divine nature that we need to learn to activate and believe that we have that, that we are that. And then I went further into it and thought, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus also said that, too. He says, very, um, John fourteen twelve. not very good at scripture referencing. I do my best, but I know what I want to say, and then <laughs> I forget the reference. So John fourteen twelve, Verily I, tr- I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. And I thought, well, how did he do that? Well, he spoke it with the intention behind it. And it was never negative, because I started going through Jesus' life in the Bible, and I started thinking, he's never... Did Jesus ever really say anything negative about himself, about anybody, about anything? No. And then I thought about it even further, and I thought, well, but wait a minute. So Jesus came human. He came in human form. But who told him, hey, you're the son of God? Who reminded him? Because if he came down to have the full experience of who he is, I wouldn't think that as a one-day-old baby, he would know. 
And, and I looked for places in the Bible where Mary and Joseph may have told him, sat him down at three, can't run around in the sanctuary because you're God's son and you have to set the example. You're the firstborn. I didn't see that. And I thought, okay, but he had to know. He had to know because it was the desire in his heart, right? And he's living the human experience, but that means he also had a human brain. So somewhere along the way, he had to start believing and speaking who he was to himself because it starts with us. So I looked, and I found when he was 12, and that's Luke 2, 41, 52, for any of you that want a reference, 12. So most 12-year-olds, if anybody's had a 12-year-old, you know that that's the age that they start deciding they're smarter than their parents. They start only half listening to what you say, (laughs) what you tell them to do. I remember that. When I was 12, I knew everything. Everything. And so they go on a trip. And he's supposed to be hanging out with the other kids and doing what 12-year-old boys do. And his parents go to look for him. And he's gone. And as a parent, you know that sinking feeling when you have your child by you and then all of a sudden they're not by you and you're like, oh, no. How did I misplace him or her? And you frantically search for a minute and then you see them, you find them, and you grab them and you just want to shake them because of that fear they put you through for the little short span of time. Because we have a tendency to suddenly and immediately think the negative. She got stolen. She got lost. And they're just in front of the little TV at Walmart watching the cartoon that's been playing on there. So I'm imagining that Mary and Joseph were quite upset and angry, especially since not only was it like, you know, their son, but it was like God's. How do you lose God's? Ah! <laughs> and I don't think she was in the presence of mind to be like, oh, the angels are with them. He'll be fine. No. Because he was living as a human. She wasn't thinking in that realm. I wouldn't think. This is my opinion. So when they do finally find him, what's he doing? He's teaching in a synagogue. Twelve. And of course, there you have Jesus. Why did you run off? You didn't tell us where you were. Why were you looking for me? You would know. I'd be doing my father's business. Joseph, he's a carpenter. That's not his business. No, my father. So he spoke it with that intention and belief, and he walked it even then. So nobody has to tell you who you are. It's there. It's already there. You just have to start believing it and becoming congruent with God and see what he's telling you. He's got got the Bible showing you. And he will send people that will tell you, hey, you should listen, especially the positive, positive stuff. And then you have Jesus when he's 30. And so you know he's been walking through all his teenage years, being who he is, believing who he is, most likely speaking it, even though it's not in there. It's got to be how his life was, because he didn't just go from 12 to 30. There's all that in between. And I'm sure he learned how to make cool things. And he's got a cousin, John the Baptist. 
the crazy cousin. We all have one of those. We all do. And you know you hear about the family gatherings and you're like, oh no. So and so is going to be there. I got to prepare myself. And those of you who did not instantly think of that crazy cousin, guess what? You're that cousin. <laughs> so if you're sitting in the chair going, what? I have a crazy cousin? Yeah, you do. <laughs> you're the one. So Jesus is going to support him, right? I'm sure. I'm going to go see what he's doing. Because I know he's doing my father's business too. He comes up to him, John, I want you to baptize me. What? No, I know who you are. You're God's son. You don't need to be baptized. You haven't done anything wrong. I'm living the human experience. I'm human. I want to experience it. Baptize me. So John does. And according to witnesses, what's spoken in there, an audible voice came out and said, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. A voice speaking with intention. And we've all had voices speak to us with that intention as well. Good job. That was great. But for some reason, we kind of push those to the side and focus on what we didn't do so great. Oh, man. Yeah, I got a B on that math test that I really studied hard for because I stink at math. Man. I really wanted that A minus. Eh, next time. I must not be that good. Instead of taking in the, whoa, you got a B, that is awesome. Woo! All that hard work paid off. Yes, I knew you had it in you. We don't do that. So Jesus took it, believed it, walked with it. 30 years old, I'm starting my ministry now. I know my purpose. I know what I'm supposed to do. And there he goes. And in all his teachings and in everything that he ever spoke, I don't ever recall seeing any part, even when he was being tempted. Oh, yeah, you know, Satan, you're right. You are right. I really don't want to go through all that pain and suffering I might have to go through. Hmm. Maybe I'm not the son of God after all. Maybe just it's mind over matter and I just am believing that I'm doing all these miracles. Hmm. Maybe I thought so hard that I turned the water to wine that it really did. No, he spoke it and he knew it and he believed it and it was. So when he's talking with his disciples and he asks them who he is, I don't think he was asking them who they believed he is to get validation Because, see, we don't need to get validation from other people about who we are. We should be giving our own self the validation. We should be waking up in the morning and being like, wow. You're godlike. You're divine. You're human. Woo! I jumped, but I don't want my microphone to go. So, pretend I jumped. (laughs) So he asks, who do they say I am? And so you have people saying, oh, you're Elijah, you're this. And I'm sure somebody even said, well, they said you're a blasphemer too. And he didn't take in one single thing that the other people had said. He was just curious. As we should be. We shouldn't believe what somebody says. If somebody calls you a name or says you can't do something. What? Yes, I can. I've just been told that I'm 
made in the image of God. He's divine. I'm divine. I can do whatever I put my mind to do. And so finally, Simon Peter says, well, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, right, you got it. Ding, 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 ding. Now, in our day, we want to win like a Porsche car, something like that. Maybe in his day, a basket of fish. You want the fish. Woo! Because I'm thinking that when he said that, Jesus went, oh, yes. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I am putting myself out there who I am and the world is responding to me. So when you put out who you are, whether you're putting out good vibes, negative vibes, whatever your self-talk is, that's what the world around you responds to. So if you go into work every single day and you're having a bad day every single day because somebody does something or says something or whatever and it makes you mad and then they're mad and then you mad the rest of the day it might be you not the manager that you think is the micromanager that wants to run your life and ruin it it might be the way you respond because who knows what self-talk that person is doing to themselves and putting out into the world to try and find validation because they just don't know how to validate themselves when you can validate your own self, you can actually exude it. And they'll be like, what does she have? What does he have? How is that happening? So if we want to follow the example of Jesus, that's what we should be doing. We're divine. It says we are God-like. If we are in the image of God, we are God-like. Which means through our words and the intention behind our words and what we say to ourselves can change the reality around us. Because we have that ability to create and change that reality. We don't respond to the world and the situations in the world. It responds to us. Because things happen, good, bad, you know. But all that we can really control is us. And how we view ourselves is how we view the world. So I don't think Jesus was a half, was a glass half empty ever. So if I'm striving to be like that, that should never come into play for me in this situation. Which it did for a long, long time. So suddenly I'm like, okay, well how do I start getting to the glass half full? That's what I want to see. Oh, half full, yay. I found this quote in one of the books that I was reading. You are a force of divine nature that has the ability to constantly create, move, and change reality around you. We're a force of divine nature because we are created in the image of God. And I thought about this even more and I thought, well... What situations could there be in my life, past, present, future? Because sometimes you have to look at the past to change the present or to understand your present state and to change the future state. And I have a lot of them. I have a lot of possible glass-empty moments. My mom died. People I love dying. Losing a job, losing a business. But one that really, really, really came to mind was when my nephew was born. And we're still in a state of shock. It's probably about three, three or four years later, maybe. After my mom had passed away, we were all so young. 
she'd had lupus, had it for 12 years, and just finally her heart done. And even in that situation, my glass was half empty because I thought, God, seriously? My youngest sister is 12, 21, been married one year. My dad just couldn't deal with it. He went off the deep end. <laughs> it was bad. And so I asked God, where could I have changed my outlook to maybe have changed some of the ways that I handled some of the situations then? And he said, well, first of all, your mom was ready. She wanted to come home. And I granted it to her. Second of all, your father needed to be with you guys. Because, see, he was military, so there'd be times he's gone nine months out of a year. I didn't fully see my dad at home till I was 17 years old on a consistent basis. Talk about some power struggles there. And I got a lot of lectures. A lot. To the point sometimes where I even asked him, I was like, Dad, can you just spank me? <laughs> Please. (laughs) I shocked him into silence and he actually started laughing (laughs) because I couldn't take it anymore. Like I heard it. So we're in this other situation with my nephew. Brother's about 21. We're still young. My son's very young. He's born with a congenital heart defect, one that is not easily fixed and one that most babies don't survive with. And the baby's born. He's blue. But he's also eight pounds, three ounces. That's huge for a baby with a congenital heart defect like his. And so that's why they didn't even think about it until they rushed him to the hospital because his oxygen levels just kept going further and further and further down. So my brother goes up in the ambulance with him. My sister in law is in the hospital. I'm the older sister. I got to go. I have to be there because at that point, my dad was still trying to come out of his situation. Missing my mom and trying to remember that he's a father and to stop seeing his glass half empty. So we get to the hospital. Can't find my brother anywhere. It's all by himself somewhere. Finally, I get so upset. I go to a nurse. I said, look, they just brought a baby in. Pacheco's the last name. Young man, where is he? What's going on? Oh, he's with the doctor. So they had taken my 21-year-old brother into a room with the doctor and what I used to call then an ambulance driver, but they're first responders now. And he'd just been told that basically he needed to take his son home to die. His firstborn, 21 years old. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. I don't know how to find positive in this situation. Thankfully, she had a mother who did. And she came in and she's like, nope. This is a good situation. This baby is going to live and it's go- he's going to bring people together. 
the glass is half full. He's here. And in the midst of all that, there had been some family members that had falling outs and things when my mom had passed away because they didn't like the way my dad had reacted. They didn't like this. They didn't like that. And there were people I hadn't even spoken to for about 10 years. No, five years before that, five years before that. And then like three or four years after it's been a while. Suddenly they hear this and everybody's going to Denver hospital to hear the meeting from the doctors about this baby's fate. And the only one who really had a say in it at the time was my brother because my sister-in-law was just, I can't lose him. Do what it takes. So here we are in this room. Three doctors walk in and there's like 35 people in there. Glass half full. Every passing forgotten because everyone was going toward a common goal. So the doctor gives us all the down lows. And they always start with the negative first. Always. And they pull someone out. This is so-and-so. Their baby was born with this defect. They took him home. They had a month. And you know what? If that's a situation that worked for them and their glass ended up being half full in the way that they did it, well, that's great. Because we can't speak for another person's shoes and what they see and how they view the world. And the words that they speak. But in our shoes, we weren't going to do that. So the doctor goes through the whole, everything that goes on. This is what's going to happen. Transplant, blah, blah, blah. He may or may not survive. But we want to take that chance. So my brother stands up and he says, you know, I don't want to hear anymore. We're going to go for the operation. This baby has a purpose and we're going to make sure that we do everything we can. Maybe not in that way, but that was the gist of what he was saying. And then, of course, the doctor says, well, okay, but we just want you to know we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that baby lives. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what we want. Do everything in your power. One of the saving graces of my nephew was the fact that he was eight pounds, three ounces when he was born. Because when he was three months old, he only weighed seven. And most times they're too little for heart transplants. And there was a child that had been born without their full brain in Canada. And the parents said, to make our glass half full, we're going to donate so other babies could live. Excuse me. So, we get the call. We don't normally do this. We don't normally accept a heart from so far away. But, we're taking this one. Operation is in two hours. Man, we flew to Denver. Couldn't got there fast enough. Longest eight hours of all of our lives. And when it was over, we had a pink three-month-old baby, as healthy as could be, who is now 22 years old, has broken records. And you know what he's doing? Sharing his testimony and speaking out for God. His purpose. Glass half full. If we would not have had a glass half full person there, I think 
we might have been drawn into the despair of our own whatever we had going on within us and our own negativity. Well, here we go. That just would serve our family, right? Lose our mom. Dad's off the deep end. And you know an amazing thing happened with my dad during that time? He quit smoking because you couldn't be around smoke. No smoke with Evan. Not even residue. Quit drinking. And we had 18 years with him. So he finally passed away. So talk about changing the situation. We respond to the situation. And then I began to wonder, well, where did I, you know, I can see the glass half full now, but how do I change me even more so that I can make the world respond to me in a more positive way? So that I can go to work happy. So that I can do what I think is my purpose and what I feel is my purpose in my heart. So I asked God to give me some ideas and show me some ways that I had negative self-talk. So I could discern it. And identify it. So here's some ways you can identify where you're being negative and areas where you're being negative and not letting yourself live to your full potential. The first one is you'll magnify more unpleasant aspects of a situation instead of where you can find positive. Baby, born with heart defect. (laughs) There's a lot of negative in that. (laughs) A lot. And you're young and you don't know what to do and you don't have any parents there, really? Thank God her mom was. See, because God is like, oh, good thing I have her. And you know what the biggest thing is with that? Is her mother's firstborn son died of that very same congenital heart defect 20 years before because they didn't know what to do. And her mom was like, oh, no. This will not happen again. And she spoke that. That was the intention. You'll personalize the situation by blaming yourself or blaming others. Either way, it puts you into a role of a victim. If you're a victim, you can't do any changing or creating or anything positive. Because you're being the victim. And it's easier to be. A victim sometimes because then you don't have to take responsibility for what you did in the situation or you don't even have to maybe take responsibility for how you reacted to the situation as it happened I would do that oh. not my fault so and so I like to blame so and so well if she wouldn't have said that If he would have only taken out the trash like I told him, it wouldn't have been knocked over by the cats in the house. Okay, but I'm capable of picking up the trash and taking those five steps and putting it outside. Or however many steps. So in all situations. But based on my own negative self-talk, well, I'm not capable of this, I'm not capable of that. Oh, I'm not going to go help over there because I really just can't do it and I'm shy. Those of you that know me are like, what? <laughs> you can never shut up. What you not? Shh. But I do get in some social situations where I am, where I walk in the room and I'm like, oh, man. Okay, I don't want to disappoint anybody. And then God goes, uh, hello. 
Didn't we just work on that? So I'm still work in progress on that. Don't be the victim. It is more empowering to take responsibility, even if you're taking responsibility of what you said negative to yourself in that situation to make you respond the way that you're responding. You can have a good intention of wanting to help somebody. Like recently at a meeting, I wanted to help one of my friends and say, hey, she's talking. That's what I did. Shut up and listen is basically what I said, which made the person I told that to not respond well, which made the person that I was trying to help get even more uncomfortable when I should have just went to the person that I was trying to help and say, hey, what can I do? What can I do to help you? And if I didn't sit back and take responsibility for that, I would still be mad at some of the other people that I caused to react to me the way that they reacted. And it's a very empowering place to be when you're not playing the victim. And when you mess up at work or whatever, don't play the victim. You know, my manager would tell me to do something, I'd be like, oh man, she just doesn't like me, she doesn't respect me. She's got her own stuff going on. She's like, just check the work. And it's always on those one days when I don't fully check the work that she'll go, here, let me help you. And find somewhere that I skipped because I'm like, ah, she does a good job. She'll be fine. And now when she says, hey, you didn't check the work. I know. I'm sorry. I got caught up doing this. It's better. Response is better. Okay, cool. Well, next time, whatever. And it's done. And I'm not dwelling on it for 17 days plus. You automatically assume the worst. Oh, my gosh, this was so me. And every now and then it is. But my son, oh, my son can tell you stories. I'm a little bit better with my daughter now, although I'm beginning to rethink that in light of some recent events. But not bad, just where I'm like, oh, oops, I forgot about that. But my son, I tell my kids, they're they're teenagers now, and I say, okay, your teenage years at home can be wonderful or hell based on you. See, now I'm putting it back on them. Not on me. Because I'm the parent and I'm going to try and do my best to make sure you don't make some of the same mistakes I did. Or at least teach you from something that I had. Tell me the truth. Let me know where you are. Be home when I tell you to be home. It's not hard. I don't need to know all the Daily logistics of it. My sister tried that with her kids and it was hilarious because her daughter literally texted her everything she was doing for the whole day. Hey mom, I'm going to the bathroom now. I'm done. I'm walking through my first hour class. This is when she moved to Denver. It's her first year at college and my sister was like, oh, be careful this and be careful that, whatever. And she's like, oh my God. So she blew up my sister's phone and texted the whole day to finally where my sister's like, okay, let me rephrase. I just want to know. <laughs> so I rephrased that carefully with my kids. I said, I don't need to know. Step-by-step process of your day. When you go into a friend's, when you're going to be home, if you decide to switch from being at that friend's house and go to ice cream, quick text. See, we in the 80s and before that would have had to take our little coin money out, find a payphone that was not out of order, dial, can I go home and go here? 
And by the time you did, it was like you wasted a whole hour because you were finding the phone and you were doing this and doing that just to let them know. And I'll tell you what, I didn't really like to do that. And when I was first married <laughs> and was going to the mall with my sisters, George tells me, make sure you call me. Let me know when you guys go wherever. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Well, the phone was out of order. We didn't have cell phones just yet. We were doing our thing, shopping. Decided we were going to go eat. I don't need to call. I'm an adult. He's not the boss of me. I didn't. You thought that my dad could lecture? I didn't do that anymore. (laughs) Because it was about safety. Hey, I just want to make sure you're safe. Because we do tend to assume the worst. So if when my son, I, I was so bad that I knew how long it took to be from one place to another. Derek's come home from Nick's. That's 15 minutes. If he stops, about 20 minutes. He should be home. He said, it's, it's 20 till 12 now. He just texted me, said he's on his way home. At 12.05, I was blowing up his phone. Where are you? What did you do? Because I had envisioned in my mind, car accident, car hijacking, stolen teenage kid. You name it. Talk about glass half empty. Instead of just being like, wait, he's a smart kid. I mean, he's 18, right? 17. He's made it this far. He probably got talking with his friends, whatever. Well, when he gets home, I'm just going to remind him. You judge things, especially emotions, as good or bad. All of our emotions are there for a reason. So stop judging it and taking a negative part of it because we always take the negative first, like I said earlier. We just do. And your vocabulary consists of I can't, I don't, what if. So these are some ways you can identify some self-negativity that you're doing and putting out into the world around you, which I did. So once I identified that, I began to listen to where... I had the most self-talk. And then I asked God to show me when that came around. And he will. If you really want to know, he will show you. And you will find it. And you'll be like, oh, wow. And for me, listening is kind of hard sometimes because I have a tendency to start thinking about what I want to do five minutes from now or something. So someone could be totally talking to me and I'll just like zone out. So I had to really pay attention to myself because I would zone out on myself too while I'm saying negative things or positive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I identified and listened. Once I identified and listened, I began to speak new agreements and new things about myself and listen also to anything positive that someone around me was telling me because God's like, "Uh, I sent you that person. You, know, you can be you can be a kid that has a desire in your heart to be, I don't know, entrepreneur, have your own business. For some reason, you just can't stay in a job because you just there's too much, there's too much. But your parents tell you, well, we're poor. We come from poor people. We're always going to be poor. You can be poor. You're living in a dream world. You take in that agreement. 
you will never get to your place of success in who you're supposed to be because you're, cons- you're consistently agreeing with the wrong thing. So when you have people that God sends to you and says, hey, I saw this for you, I, and they don't even know your background, you should probably listen, <laughs> especially when you're in a church setting or in a setting where it's safe and you know God is moving and speaking because he's trying to change the agreement that you made with the negative So once I identified and listened, I began to speak these new agreements about myself to myself. And then listened to people who would suggest books and things like that and find it and discern and ask God. And always, always trying to keep that connection open with divine because we are. And, you know... After our toy store closed and I was still in such a drag with my life, I thought, man, I don't like my life. I don't like the way I'm viewing it. I don't like the fact that I'm seeing it the way that I'm seeing it. I said, well, you have the power to change your life, so do it. So what good, what's the half fool in the situation? Oh, well, I met all these people. I did this. I did that. What's the half fool in your job? But then I thought, man, that's kind of boring because now I'm just like running my life based on I'm still letting the cup run my life and the situation and how I view it. I want to refill it because I have that power. I have the power to refill my cup with every word that I speak. And I can take drinks, too, with every negative that I put out there. So I like to start my day now with a more empty cup because I know I'm going to refill it. Whatever the situation is, whatever life has going on, because I can change it and shift it to respond to me. I don't have to respond to it. Recently, we just went through a pretty rough situation that you never want your kids to go through and you never, ever, as a parent, want to go through. But one of my daughter's friends was killed in a car accident. And man, I couldn't even imagine how would you even begin to fill your cup in a situation like that. It was devastating. And my daughter was so heartbroken. Her boyfriend, it was his best friend, so heartbroken. And there was nothing I could do or say at that time. Mom, everybody... We go to the funeral, and I'm watching the mom walk to the front, and she's just bawling. Everyone's so sad. And I'm still like, where do you find the cup to refill it? How do you refill it? How do you even find half full? And she did. And I was amazed. And they stood up there, and they talked about this kid. He was a great kid. (laughs) He'll be missed. And his uncle stood up in his military uniform and he said, yeah, he's gone too soon. And he was walking his purpose. But the reason he's gone is because he made some decisions that were not wise because he didn't listen to his parents. 
So what we want you to do is listen now so that your parent isn't sitting in that place. Wear your seatbelt. If you're grounded, don't sneak out and try and beat your parents home. They're not trying to ruin your life. (laughs) They're trying to make it better. Learn from it. Make something good out of it. Talk about energized. Talk about taking something and turning it around to bring something good into someone else's life. Because that couldn't have been easy. So... I thought, you can. Because even I was kind of going, well, you can't fill every situation and find a positive and everything. What about Texas right now? There's people who have no houses. People dying. And there's the best of humanity coming out as well. In helping each other. Refilling the cup. So let me remind you who you are again. You are a force of divine nature that has the ability to constantly create, move, and change reality around you. And it's based on how you view yourself and what you put out there in the world and speak. Because the word is just a possibility until you put intention behind it. We have a lot of possibilities, like gazillions. And we can do whatever we want with them. Because God made us that way. And this is why I think that Paul could walk in his life and say, count it all joy. Because I'm telling you right now, it was not joyful at my mother's funeral. Stunk. The other S word. Even worse. But there was joy there. Because she was. And she left this earth with her last breath being, are the kids okay? And my dad said, yes, they will be fine. That's all she needed to hear. And we are. And so are our kids. So I can count it all joy now. So refill your glass. Um... I didn't do this in the first service, but I don't know if we have anybody here that is on the prayer team at all. Or ministry, or whatever. Um, But I just feel that if there's anybody that's really, really struggling with finding just a little refill. Just like to give a little of what I have. So... Thank you. Thank you for letting me speak to you guys, and I'll be up here for a minute if you want to come up and get a little bit.